psychedelics are inherently religious. And if you go back and if you look at the literature that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the people who were doing these things and writing about these things knew it. And that's why they were writing about it the way that they were. That's why Terrence McKenna said that doing pharmaceuticals was taking hold of the logos by force. That's why he called his name food of the gods. He knew that they were inherently connected and could not be separated. Alright, welcome to this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson. And joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Getchy Richie. On today's edition of The Sword and Staff, Richie and I are going to be talking about a topic that we have never spoken about before. And that's the topic of psychedelics, pharmacia, and sorcery. So, Richie, how are you feeling about today's episode? I mean, we're doing shrooms and talking about psychic abilities and... <laughs> MK Ultra and some good stuff. I'm I'm pumped for it. Oh wow! I was not planning on Josh went on a little foraging trip into the woods and found some questionable shrooms, but none of them were the right oh, ones. So Lord, yeah, we just found the uh, the death caps and uh, <laughs> you know that that kind of thing. So uh, I mean, we just had what we had to work with. There you go. So uh, how are you feeling about today's episode? What are you what are you what are you thinking about it? How are you thinking it's going to go? I think it's going to get weird real quick. Yeah. Because so looking at your outline, there's none of the things in this outline are even comparable to the direction I wanted to head with this episode. That's okay. So, like, you're looking at uh, like the Greek for pharmakia and all that stuff, and I was like, ah, let's get let's dive into MK Ultra and like uh, altered states of consciousness and like uh, psychic experiments and things like that because yeah. I've had experiences with those things. So, oh wow, you were you did MK Ultra, uh, basically. <laughs> The same sort of precepts that went into that program yeah. are things that I've tried in the field, like sensory deprivation experiments. And uh, If you guys ever watch Stranger Things Season 4, we have figured out who the listen, father of Eleven is. It's Sketchy Richie. It is. He was in MKUltra. I have been in a sensory deprivation tank. What? It's it's not like the what she's in, like where you're right. like standing up. It's, yeah. It looks like almost like a thing you see on top of like an SUV that you put like luggage in. That okay. thing that cranks down. Yeah. It's shaped like that. It's got like 800 pounds of salt in it mm-hmm. and just that little amount of water. And you basically are floating to the point where if you're blindfolded and you have like white noise playing into your ears, mm-hmm. you lose all sense of like time and space. And yeah, that's actually super popular nowadays. Like you is. can actually go to places like it's that. It's like therapeutic now, but you add, right. you add in a sketchy paranormal element to it. And you're like basically dabbling in like astral projection and oh wow things like that. So mm-hmm. it gets weird quick. Yeah. Um, I actually think that my brother-in-law, uh, like there's a place here local that does uh, like salt. It's like the, you know, the water and the salt, you know, and uh, sensory deprivation. I think really, he, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he actually went to one of those like therapeutic places. And I did that. need a location, and uh, he loved it. He thought that it was phenomenal. He said that they just played music the entire time that he was in there, and that it was just uh, really nice. See, I'd sub out the music with like a guided meditation, focused oh, intention. Like yeah. we're going into the astral realm to meet the horned river serpent oh, of Appalachia. Gosh. Well, I wasn't expecting to get that sketchy right off the bat today, but like, here that's, we are. That's what I would do with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's. Let's hit pause on that and let's not do that <laughs> and uh 
And uh, oh, I've not, got some stories. Yeah, let's not. I'm excited. Let's not do any uh, sensory deprivation and summon the uh, not horned, yet horned river serpents of the Native Americans. Listen, that's coming. Oh boy. Oh, I mean, I'm tune terrible. into Shadow Appalachia and you'll find that. No way. Okay. All right. Well, that's what he thinks, but you'll find out. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to start us off with a question today, Richie, for today's episode. Have I lost my mind? Yes. Okay. Um, the question is this. Why is Sword and Staff doing an episode on psychedelics? Hmm. My answer is this. I was going to say, I know why I would do an episode on psychedelics, but... My answer to the question is, right now, this topic is extremely popular. Like, just go type in psychedelics in YouTube... And like one of the first things you're going to get is like oh, yeah. Joe Rogan. Like you, I was going to mention Joe Rogan. You can't yeah. watch a single episode of his without let me ask just you talking a, about tripping on something. Let me ask you a question that I haven't asked you yet. You ever done DMT, man? No. <laughs> For all the Joe Rogan fans. I, so, I, uh, I couldn't probably tell you what DMT is. Yeah, me either. Um, yeah, so. Like I've seen Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, that yep. show. I was just fascinated by that. And I think there was DMT on there. Yeah. Maybe in some of the episodes, like the dude was smoking like frog venom and like some oh, craziness. Wow. So it, it got weird quick and I loved it, but I don't remember DMT exactly. Yeah, no. Yeah. But that's that's how we're going to kind of answer the question, right? Is we're, we're doing an episode on psychedelics because it's extremely popular right now. And not only that, but tell people, them how popular. Like um, for our Sword and Staff uh, Patreon exclusive, we're actually going to do some psychedelics and uh, document the trip. Yeah, we're absolutely not. <laughs> so you have to become but, a patron to find out. Oh my gosh! But here's another reason: um, people who are doing psychedelics are encountering what they're calling entities. I feel and, like Coleman would be down for something like that. I don't. I'm sorry, Coleman. I, I apologize. I feel like he would be. He he is in a mood today. We're six minutes in, and he is already in a mood. I apologize to everybody today. Sketchy like I've Richie got is, I've got some patrons in mind that I think would be down for it. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So, but here's the thing. Okay, let's get back on track here. Okay. People who <clears> are <throat> doing psychedelics. Let's get serious. Yeah. People who are doing psychedelics. Like, they're encountering what they're calling spiritual entities while they're doing it, right? Yep. And that has uh, religious significance because a lot of the messages that they're being given in these experiences are messages that are religious in nature, right? It has a lot to do with, like, enlightenment and and what happens after you die and uh, stories about gods and a lot of that kind of stuff. And so this kind of falls into our wheelhouse. And to me, it reminds me of a lot of the uh, the questions and backlash we got with, with Dark Holler. Well, that's exactly with what With Kristen and her uh, drug addiction. And like, it, can all of the phenomena be explained to withdrawals and her uh, symptoms of her addiction? Yeah. And was it in place of a paranormal experience or yeah. did the two go hand in hand? Yeah, well, that was the next thing that I was going to say is, oddly enough, uh, the topic of drug use and religious experiences touches on our work that we did in Dark Holler. And so we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. So if you're interested to hear how we would answer the question that Richie just posed, stick around. We're going to answer it at the end of the episode. So um, let's kind of get into the topic of discussion for today. All right. So what exactly are psychedelics? Right. Because here's the here's the deal. Like, note, preface. I have never done a drug in my life. I don't know about you, <laughs> uh, but 
but I have never. Let's, done, let's think about. No, I, I can say that I haven't. Okay, so you weren't doing drugs in your ritual practice when you were a pagan. No. Okay. All right. So you, were, if if crafting too strong of a herbal tea blend with things like uh, valerian and uh, lavender and things that, like would knock you out for like eighteen hours, like in high concentration. If that's what you mean, yeah, yes. But just like straight up substance abuse, yeah. no. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I've never done. I've never done a drug in my life. Um, I've never been high, so I am approaching this topic. Wait a minute. What? I don't know if I can say that or not. Oh, God. I used uh, mugwort in a lot of things that I used to make, and mugwort mugwort comes with a warning that it's mildly hallucinogenic. Really? I can't recall ever being, like, tripping out on it or anything, but now that I think about it, yeah, like, that's... They give a warning even to pregnant women uh, because they use it a lot for, uh, like, menstrual problems and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. But that that they, they, they say yeah that it's very it's mildly hallucinogenic so hmm. maybe I don't, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> I don't even know what mugwort is so I don't think that that falls on the list of psychedelics we're going to look at right now you've but. probably seen mugwort growing on the side of the interstate like it's it's that kind of herb like it it grows along roadways and things like that okay gotcha so what exactly are psychedelics Kristen would probably know what it is oh, it's probably. associated with the moon and made mother and crone and yep. Oh my gosh! Okay, all right. Moving on. Moon magic. <laughs> uh, we're going to get into some of that in this episode. I really? Think. Uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. So, uh, but first, let's talk about. I don't know if you want that or not. Yeah, let's talk about the psychedelics that are commonly used. Okay. Okay. So, done a little bit of research. I have some friends who do psychedelics. Okay. And so here's the list that I have kind of compiled. Let me ask you this. Go ahead. If someone offered you a, a psychedelic in a controlled like environment, like if you were in like a lab or something, and they're like, okay, for research purposes, would you take this in structured doses? Like there was no way you were going to like just die. Like would you do it? No, absolutely not. There is no, there is no reason at all. Is it that bad I would, that I don't know that I could say the same oh, thing? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. No, yeah. I just really take the command to be sober-minded in Scripture uh, really seriously. And I'm just not like, about like that. Like, on my own devices, like, I can't say that I would turn that down. But I've got you looking out for me, so you would legit wouldn't let me get into that. Whew, good thing I'm looking out for you. <laughs> <laughs> so... To get into this list of commonly used psychedelics that you're probably going to hear about if you dive into this topic, um, those are ayahuasca. Um, ayahuasca is probably our local psychedelic because you could literally go across the border into Kentucky and go into an ayahuasca camp. Yeah, a retreat. I actually know people who have like spore kits and actually grow this stuff. Um, friends in my life, and so it's definitely a thing. You're not wrong. Um, another one that seems to be really big is psilocybin. So this is given this mushroom. shared friends that we have yeah. that have access to these things. I think I'm doing a pretty good job of staying away from it. Honestly, yeah, no doubt. Um, LSD is another one. That's kind of like a LSD. classic one. Yeah, um, thinking about some Beetle stuff here and Lucy. Wasn't in the sky LSD with the one that was like prescribed by doctors at one point? I could not tell. I'm you. almost pretty. I'm almost certain that it was prescribed by doctors in a clinical setting at one point it may have been one of those uh hallucinogenics was at did, one point did they talk did they do lsd and mk ultra i'm pretty sure it was something like that they would they pumped them full of like uh, lsd and some other uh compounds and would basically observe their their trips and 
they would use it in psychic warfare and mm-hmm. to trigger precognitive dreams and remote viewing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was LSD. Yeah, I think that you're right about that. I'm pretty sure that it was LSD. Um, another one, and this is the one that you hear a lot in Joe Rogan, is DMT. <laughs> DMT. Right? That's why I ask you if you've ever done DMT, well, man. I need to look this up because yeah. to me, when I, when I hear DMT, it's like, okay, this is the frog venom. <laughs> the, well, so the way that I understand DMT, like the high that is achieved on DMT and the, the hallucinogenic effect that comes with DMT, it's a lot different than the others. The others are kind of... What is it? Is I, it is it a substance that's like generated in a lab, or is it like something you can find in nature? Like what uh, no, is no, it? it's, it's found in nature. So it's actually found from certain plants, and they were actually, if I'm not mistaken, using it in places like the Amazon by taking certain plants and doing like... Wait uh, a minute. So it actually might be the frog venom. ...type stuff. Um but from what I understand, like I remember the episode where the guy was literally walking up and plucking frogs off of a tree, licking the backs of the frogs, mm-hmm. and there was some kind of hallucinogenic thing in their venom on their backs, yeah, and they would just trip out from things like that. I have no clue. Um, but from what I understand, the the hallucinogenic effect that comes with DMT is a lot. Um, it's very very strong, like stronger than the others. But from what I understand, it's like in terms of time, it's like a 10 minute deal. But from people who I've listened to who've done it, like they talk about that it's, uh, it feels like even though it was 10 minutes, it feels like you were there for like eternity on the trip. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember the guy from the video I, I watched earlier that said when he was doing DMT, he was like, I just pray that this, this is a quick trip and not like the, uh, Five minutes. Something about the riding into hell on the the horse. Oh, of you're paranoia. talking about Duncan Trussell. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I lost it when I heard that today. Yeah. It's like they're like I, we I are the, the, the entities that he ran into. They're like we are the spirits of of, <laughs> of uh, the gods or something. Yeah. Like and we're here to do work on you. Like, could you imagine that? Like, it's no. a basically alien abduction at yeah. that point. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, you know, some of the other ones are mescaline, peyote, MDMA. Those are some of the common ones you're going to hear whenever you dive into the topic of psychedelics. So Peyote. I know people that's done, that's done that out west. Yeah? Yeah. Like the uh, the natives out west do a lot of peyote. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a Native American drug. <laughs> kind of reminds me of coyote. <laughs> the, they literally will... Uh, my dad used to talk about being out in Texas working on the in the oil fields, and a bunch of the guys that worked on the oil rigs would meet up with the the natives that are out there in the, in those areas out West. And they would actually give those construction workers and oil rig guys peyote buttons, like the little mushrooms mm-hmm. and they would trip. And it was part of their, their medicine rituals. Like they would use it in like ritual ways to commune with their ancestors and things like that. So, hmm. yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about some of that. We got to get some of that. No, <laughs> we don't. Um, so we need to kind of, Add a note here on because usually whenever we talk about mythology and, and stuff a disclaimer like that, and an apology to Coleman, I wasn't at all insisting that Coleman is down for hallucinogenic shrooms. Nor are we. Nor are we. So uh, slightly. Usually, the way that we do these, whenever we talk about things like mythology, we talk about source material, right? And so I kind of want to do that here, but whenever it comes to the psychedelic world, so if you were to dive into the psychedelic literature that's out there. Uh, the big names that you would come across and the works that you would come across are uh, people like Terrence McKenna. And so he's wrote books called True Hallucinations. So basically he's arguing that the hallucinations that 
people have on psychedelics are true. That Imagine that being just, your job. Like you're, you're, you're a professional tripper and you come back and you just document your experiences. Oh, yeah, no, there's people who do that for sure. Um, but basically in that book, he argued that hallucinations are real, that they're not just a figment of your imagination, that it's actually a religious kind of, kind of deal. Um, he wrote another one called Food of the Gods, Search for the Original Tree of Knowledge. Yes. So he's talking very sacramental mm, yeah. about shrooms. Um, like I've heard people in the past say that uh, hallucinogenics are, are sacraments mm-hmm. and things like oh, that. Yeah. But I didn't know that there. this was some kind of a thing out there. No. Yeah, it absolutely is. 100%. Mm. So you can see like here, like we're starting to, we're touching on the religious with this. Right? Yeah. Um, this one kind of surprised me whenever I was doing research this week. Um, another person who wrote extensively on psychedelics was Aldous Huxley who we talked about in our Devil's Loot Dawn episode because he also was the person who recorded that case. And the books that he wrote on these topics were Doors of Perception, Heaven and Hell, and Moksha, Writings on Psychedelics and Visionary Experiences. So basically, he talks about psychedelics giving you visionary experiences. Given that, I can see why he had a few words to say on the devils of Ludon. Yeah. Another one is Timothy Leary, and he wrote The Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. That sounds like a bad time. Like even <laughs> Thank if, you. if Sketchy Finally. Richie says it's a bad time, it's Finally. a real bad time. Finally, we've come to the point to where Sketchy yeah. Richie is getting sketched out. Listen, I know of some Tibetan rituals where you do visualizations of like eating your body till you're just nothing but immaterial. And like th- these guys will get like uh, flutes that are made out of human thigh bones and like mm. just play. It's 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 a weird thing. Like if, if I'm saying something is weird and problematic, run for the hills because... Yeah. That, that's few and far between for me. <laughs> Another one is uh, Alan Watts, who is a huge, huge, like, new age type teacher. Um, especially if you're getting, like, you'll come across Alan Watts, especially if you're getting ads from, like, Gaia on social media. Like, they have hmm. a huge Alan Watts library. And he wrote a book called Joyous Cosmology. So he's talking about psychedelics and cosmology, right? So, I mean, like, yeah. Uh, another one that's really famous, which has been turned into a film in which Johnny Depp was in, was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. And it's a whole book and movie about this psychedelic trip. And it's wild. I highly don't recommend watching it. I watched it years ago when I was like 15 or something like that. Definitely don't watch it. But those are kind of some of the big names in psychedelic When you literature. get on the fence about things like that and like, you don't do it, don't watch it, it's hot, just stay away. It, it kind of makes me think it's probably amazing. And you're just trying to... Oh, I mean, it's a classic. Like, build the fence and like keep us out of trouble. It's, like, it's a now classic. Now I kind of want to go watch it. It's a, it's a classic whenever it comes to psychedelic literature. And I, I ran across it when I was like 15 and I had no clue what it was that I was watching. I was like, oh, cool. This movie's got Johnny Depp in it. And I'm like, I'm like what is happening <laughs> like it was is wild i highly don't recommend it but here's the thing that i want to note about all these sources that we just talked about and these writers um notice here that they have a common thread right drugs induce religious experiences right i mean just think about the names right terence mckenna's food of the gods Search of the original tree of knowledge. This is hearkening back to genesis reminds me of language of like the gods eating like ambrosia and things like that like Aldous Huxley's Moksha, writing on psychedelics and visionary experiences. We're talking about seeing visionary experiences, like prophetic type things. T. 
Timothy Leary's, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Okay? Like Alan Watts, joyous cosmology. Right? These are all religious ideas. A cosmos is a um, universe that is set in order by a supreme being. It's a cosmos. That's what a cosmos means. So all of these works that are classic psychedelic works of literature have religious overtones to them. And that's I wonder very if important. That's, I wonder if uh, the atheistic like astronomers and things like that who use that term actually understand what that term means. Mm, I like they it. throw that around a lot and you'll hear people like, no, it talk about cosmology. But yes. They, yeah. And like, it doesn't have a, cre- uh, like a, a uniform, mm-hmm. like created. It's something that's ordered. Image, yeah. Something that's ordered and has meaning. And it's not just, but they'll throw that term around space. a lot. Like yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. Yep. No. Um, if you were to start digging into psychedelic, uh, materials now, the, the, the big names that you're going to run into now who are current, um, on this topic are number one, Joe Rogan. Like the majority of Joe Rogan's <laughs> interviews talks about psychedelics. Like yep. he has tons talking about psychedelics. Um, you're going to run across uh, Michael uh, Pallon, who is an author and a journalist and who does lectures on this stuff. Dude, he frequently talks about his active tripping in psychedelics. Oh, yeah. 100%. And today, even even that uh, guy that was from the, what was it, Steve O? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from I, from li- Jackass. Yeah, I remember I, one of his interviews today. I saw on there where he was talking about his his trips and and the gnomes and the elves and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, another person you're going to run across talking about this is Sam Harris, who is a part of the New Atheist Movement, and he's got podcasts. He's got an app called Waking Up. Uh, he's got books, essays, etc., talking about this stuff. Um, you're going to run across Dennis McKenna, who is the brother, I'm pretty sure he's the brother of Terrence McKenna, who wrote Food of the Gods. And he is an ethnopharmacologist. That's what he does for that a living. That sounds so amazing. Um, actually, Jordan Peterson just did two interviews with Dennis McKenna over the past week talking about this. So even Jordan Peterson is starting to talk about this. Another person you're going to run into who's talking about it, Duncan Trussell, and he's an actor. He's a comedian. Um, so please tell me Jordan Peterson is not tripping on psychedelics. I don't think that Jordan Peterson is tripping on psychedelics. But he's I the think psychologist, right? He's a psychologist, so but I to think me, he's interested in it. I was going to say, to me, for somebody who is a psychologist, I can see the interest to know on an experiential level what that would be like. And so, so Jonathan Peugeot is talking about this as well. And he's an Orthodox Christian and he's talking about it because he's friends with Jordan Peterson and he's also trying to influence him not to go down that route. So even Jonathan Peugeot is talking about psychedelics as well. And he's talking about it from an Orthodox Christian perspective. So if you were to do YouTube searches, these are the people you're going to find. These are the people that you're going to run into. And you are going to note that one of the commonalities that you're going to see with all of them, well, at least the classic literature on it, is there are major religious overtones to it. And we're going to get into that before the end of the episode. There is, a, say, there is a reason for a it. A lot of observable patterns from the field. Okay. So I want to talk about common experiences that people have. And, and, keep, oh boy. In, and keep in mind... <laughs> We are approaching this as people who have never done psychedelics. So we do not have any firsthand accounts to give you. These are secondhand accounts that we have heard from other people. That is a comp that is common 
among people who do psychedelics. And the major one that seems to come up, Richie, whenever people are talking about this, is an entity known as the Machine Elves. I'm here for it. I absolutely love it. This, this That was the first time I'd heard that term today, mm-hmm. but the actual experience of these beings mm-hmm. is something that I've seen even in the paranormal field. So I was excited to kind of see so it mentioned elsewhere. Yeah, so people who encounter the machine elves, um, they talk about them, and people have different experiences with them, but this is a common trope that people seem to encounter when they're doing psychedelics. People talk about being attacked by hundreds of machine elves. They talk about um, the machine elves giving them secret wisdom that there's, you know, about the meaning of life and why we're here and all that kind of stuff. Um, And people talk about the way that they kind of manifest is they're like this pattern that's ingrained in the creation that they weren't aware of before. And because... Um, because the psychedelics alter the way you perceive reality, suddenly you're able to perceive them in a way that you weren't before. It's like they yes. pop out of the of the background. Yeah, that the reminds foreground. me of an experience I heard that actually today when I was talking to uh, some people about our episode. Like there was a guy that said, "Yeah, uh, I'd done psychedelics in the past," and he said I was out in the yard and just collapsed in a lawn chair. And he goes, I was watching the wind move the trees. And he said, I'd, after, and then I'd done the, the substance. And then all of a sudden, I could see what was moving that tree limb. And it was this little being that was bouncing on the tree. And when he, when he, he was like, when he noticed that, I could, I could notice him. Like, he stopped and looked at me and acknowledged me. Walked down to the end of the branch and just patted me on the head. Like, like good job. Very similar to an experience that Duncan Trussell talks about in one of his podcasts. So he talks about he's out somewhere out west on like a retreat, and he's he's ta- taken what Terrence McKenna called a heroic dosage, which is a <laughs> that's what he called it was like. I mean, if you're going to take any dosage amount, you might as well go for the for the hero's journey. There, it's this dosage that is like above normal, and it's used to induce like. How would you re- even religious. gauge that? Well, What's the normal lot, dose? The, the way is like according to weight, from what I understand. Oh, okay, like. You, so they you actually have like a structured like pharmacological like well yeah I mean standard in, yeah in the lab like there is a certain dosage that you can take that is like standard like, and, like I'm, these I'm are sure people out. like in in the Amazon are like okay you no, lick, they do you lick like four frogs and you're you're wasted like <laughs> right. at that point like yeah. well Duncan Trussell basically talks about he didn't measure it out he just grabbed some in his hand and it felt heavy and he took it and he said within like ten minutes his hands were like melting. You know, like that was one of the experiences. He's like, and he was basically like, "Oh no, if we're we're at this point already on the roller coaster, just starting. I I have no idea where this thing's going to take me." And so, basically, though, he he talks and he he talks about that. You know, at the end of his experience, there was this motherly type of presence that came over him and made him made him feel loved. Um, made him feel safe, and he talks about sitting out in like this field. He was outside, and he's looking up at this tree, and all of a sudden in the pattern of the tree, he notices there's this gnome sitting on the tree branch, and it comes out of the foreground, or the background, into the foreground, and he says that he sees the gnome. He says he's, he's bearded, you know, he's, lit, he's a small person, he doesn't have a hat, but he says that he sees this gnome, and the gnome looks down and notices him. And he seems that says that the gnome doesn't try to talk to him. 
he says that he just seemed to be very aggravated that he could see him. And like he was very frustrated that he could see him and that he could notice him. And he said that, you know, he just sat there and watched the gnome as the sun was going down. And eventually, you know, I guess the hallucinogenic effect were off and the gnome just kind of disappeared back into the background. I got you a synchronicity. Oh, okay. My little nephew that's one years old, this is what he was for Halloween. A (laughs) legit gnome. A gnome. That's 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 hilarious. That's funny. Um, So, you know, other entities that people talk about, surprisingly, that comes up a lot is the greys. Yes. The greys. Abduction experiences are so intertwined with it with the way this thing presents itself like just reading the stories and things that i was looking into today like it's it's spot on and i'm even more convinced that i've personally had these kind of experiences just created and manipulated in a different way instead of using a substance gotcha um like i've done uh like astral travel and uh thought projection and things like that in in the occult and it's I've had those kind of out of body experiences and it's very similar to what you're describing there. Yeah. A lot of people who, who do this talk about it feeling like they're outside of space time. Yes, exactly. Like for example, like the DMT trip, um, you're out, like you're going somewhere else. They talk about experientially. It's like the veil is lifted between the seen and the unseen and you enter into that. I mean, you're basically describing an abduction experience. Yeah. Um, but the, the greys is one that presents themselves a lot. And they're always coming to people and they're presenting this religious message. Yep. Another one is a is this like kind of archetypal serpent being as well. That's interesting. Yes. And another thing that people report seeing is things like fractal like mandalas. Yes. Um, like patterns. Yes. That kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you like close your eyes or something like that, or close your eyes and kind of press on them, you can almost see patterns. Yeah. Um, they talk about that, but it's it's like waking. Yeah. When you're when you're doing uh, sensory deprivation experiments and you're doing focused meditation, that's some of the things that you see starting off. It's like that's what comes before you have the experience. These almost kaleidoscope kaleidoscopic Very, images. Yeah. And it's like triangles and shapes, and mm-hmm. and then you have you get beyond that, and you are like you're aware, you're not aware of space and time or your body or any kind of direction. Like that's I've been in that kind of state of consciousness before, just induced by uh, sensory deprivation, uh, the use of things like uh, white noise and other things. It's I've been in those kind of ex- experiences without uh, the substance, so it's it's mm. interesting. It's interesting that you talk about like this almost like I don't know if you would describe it this way this sense of oneness. Yes, like you you lose your body. You don't you know lose, where you, you begin you, and where yeah, everything else right. stops. And like you you can, uh, there was one experience I had like I was floating over this mountain range, but at the same time I could feel the water in this river down there. I could feel the wetness of it, the temperature. I could, I was like, I was the water, but I wasn't the water. It's, it's weird. It's like being one with everything Mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Um, the way that Terrence McKenna described the psychedelic experience was he said that it was like taking hold of the the logo. So the logos by force. Yes. Right. And the logos 
for those who don't know, like that's the, like John in John 1, 1 talks about in the beginning was the word, the Greek word there is logos. And it's this, uh, the one who has ordered and put all things into being and who is, who has done that. Um, and so he basically says, it's like taking hold of the logos by force like by doing it by means of some other means than what you typically Oh, would. gosh. We're going to have to have a conversation about uh, a lucid dreaming experiment that I've done one time. Oh, my goodness. Maybe we'll say that a, for With a light helmet maybe, that would keep you like sort of on the brink of like uh, REM sleep. Mm-hmm. So you'd be actively awake, but just on the edge and you could lucid dream. Well, maybe we'll say that for an uncut section at the end. Maybe you can talk about that at the the end of it. And that can that's going to be really sketchy, though. All right, well, we'll save it for <laughs> I'm the here end. For it. Then. Let's okay. go. Um, so, um, people talk about seeing all sorts of entities there, whether they be machine elves, archetypal serpents, uh, gray alien type beings. They talk about seeing all types of Listen, monsters. I'm here to beings. tell you that I absolutely believe that they are seeing into the spiritual well, realm. We're going to get absolutely. to that. Absolutely. We're going to get like, to there's that. There's no we're gonna doubt. Get we're going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> I've had these experiences. So they talk about, you know, seeing machine elves and they talk about seeing geometric patterns. Like yes. Ter- yep. or Trussell Duncan talks about looking at his hand after he saw it melt. And whenever he saw it, it was transparent and that his hand was nothing but geographic. Like, like this it was, fractal it was, image. It yep. was transparent, and he could see in his hand geometric, geometric shapes. Yep. So it's like he could see like this architecture in his being. In yeah, some it's ways. almost like this unhinging of reality, and everything yeah. starts to just... Well, the language that's used is the veil between the scene and the scene is torn open. Yes. And you, take, you go in by force. By force, yeah. Yep. Right. Which is going to be really important. And so, but people see all sorts of entities and they all have messages about the meaning of life and, like and it's God very, and all that kind of thing. Even artificially manipulated with machines and things the, the way that I've experienced it, it's very forceful. Like you feel like it's an intrusion. Like it's not something well, that's a natural progression. Well, you almost it's see like that. you're thrusted into it and you're an intruder in that sort of environment. It's like you almost see that in the story Duncan Trussell was telling about seeing the gnome up in yes, the Yes, and they treat the you tree. like you're an invader. Right. Yeah. And he said he basically said that, you know, it was looking at him and noticing him, but it wasn't trying to make contact with him. Yeah. It was just very frustrated that he was there. Exactly. Like the he, beings that I've experienced through uh things like that. Have been that way. Hmm. Like, they're very hostile and they're like, there's just this impression, like, why are you here? Like, this amazement that you can actually, you're there to notice them. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I want to talk about that here in a few minutes. I, yep. I think that that's really interesting. But here's the question I want to ask now okay. ask it. Let's go. Are these experiences real? Absolutely. Like, because before we get to our take, I want to lay out a couple different takes because there's various takes on And they're all wrong real. unless they're mine. <laughs> There you go. Um, there's lots of debate about if these experiences are real. Um, and there's even lots of explanations answered uh, from different perspectives. So there's kind of a Jungian answer to that, right? Like people who are followers of Carl Jung. Um, and like Dennis McKenna is one of them. He, he basically says that people who do psychedelics tap into the collective unconscious and basically that they meet the archetypal beings who reside in the collective unconscious, which is. Interesting. Um, another one is a kind of a, a spiritualist take on it. And basically those people say that that people who do drugs tap into the Lagos and take it by force. And that's what his brother, Terrence McKenna, said. There's also a materialist take on it, and that's Sam Harris, who's also, you know, experimenting with him. And basically he says that these things are nothing but a hallucination. Um 
And then there's some people out there like Joe Rogan who simply says, I, I don't know what's going on. And we don't know what's going on. Like we don't have any kind of scientific evidence to tell us what's going on. So at the end of the day, we just don't know. Maybe they're real. Maybe they're not. We don't know. So I want to ask you this question. You've already answered it, but I'm going to ask you it again. What do you think? Do you think that people are actually tearing up the in the veil and actually going into the unseen realm and actually making contact with beings on the other side? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Let's talk about that. Then. Oh, boy. So here's my take on it, okay? Um, my take is you are entering into a liminal space right? You're entering into liminality and that's where these types of religious experiences happen, right? I mean, just think about it. Adam, just, yeah. Adam in the garden, right? Yeah. Adam, Adam is in between heaven and earth on top of a, a, a mountain where there's the, the garden of Eden. So he's not down below. He's not in heaven above, but he's in this liminal space in between. It's the same thing with Moses. When he goes up onto Mount Sinai and he receives the commandments of God, he's in this liminal space, right? Same thing with Jesus on the Mount of Tra- the Transfiguration. He's up on this place and he's transfigured and he becomes luminous, right? You see that a lot. And not only do you see it biblically with like sacred geography and sacred cosmology, but you also or cosmic geography, but you also see it in other world religions out there comparatively. Like you see it in the rituals, right? Of, of other cultures. Like for example, like whenever somebody is entering into manhood, right? They're, they're thrown into a liminal space. Yep. They're ripped away from their mother by the father. They're put out in the woods, which is away from home. You're not what you're going to be after the experience. And you have to go in to death and be transformed by it. Right. And then you see that, you know, in, in other places too, like um, p- pagans who are, who are <clears throat> trying to make communication yep. with these beings. I was going to say putting themselves yep. in a liminal space to make contact. That's a common trope, right? Absolutely. And I'm even more convinced hearing it, this now that the experiences that I have by literally putting myself in a state of liminality to better experience the paranormal, to be more open to those sort of experiences and, and contact with those beings that I've created artificially through machines and uh, focused intention the exact same phenomena these people are experiencing with substance abuse. Yeah. So well, it's the same thing like dreaming. Absolutely. Like, like people talk like Sam Harris, for example, talks about that, that hallucinogenics are like dreaming. Like they're not real, but what he fails to take into account is that you're in a state of liminality, right? You're, you're not dead, but you're not awake either. You're unconscious. And your mind is, is kind of in this liminal place where, you see a lot of things that just don't make sense. And in reality, I mean, from the biblical worldview, we know that dreams have significance, right? I mean, you see that with Daniel interpreting dreams. You see that with Joseph, right, who has a dream about his father and his mother and his 12 brothers who are like the sun, moon, and stars, and they're bowing down to him. Like, these things have significance. And if you talk to people who have, for example, like uh, sleep paralysis and night terrors. I've, I have, yes. Right? Those types of things. Like, there's significance to that. I mean, if you even look at the ancient Near East, um, you know, one of the spiritual beings that's associated with with sleep and, uh, you know, sudden infant death and things like that during sleep is this demonic character named Lilith, or it's called a Lilu or a Lilatu, you know, in the, the original languages. So these things, again, have religious connections to them. And here's what I want to say. The Bible actually has a take on this. 
it has a take on all of this stuff that we're talking about. It has a take on uh, it has a take on psychedelics and drugs and these types of things. Okay, and we believe as Christians that this is the correct take, regardless. Uh, joking aside, right? We believe this is the correct take. And the word that we actually see in the Bible used for this is a Greek word, and it's the word pharmakia. You can look it up in a strong. I was going to say, if you know anything about the origins of that word, that should be given the what the Watchers brought to humanity. That should be the end of the case for you right there, because well, let's it's basically about- synonymous with. Sorcery and alchemy. Well, let's talk about that word a little bit. So you can actually find it in your Strong's Concordance if you're a Bible nerd and you've got a Strong's Concordance. Or if you want to go to blueletterbible.com, you can look at their Strong's Concordance there. It's it's, uh, Strong's number G5332. And the word pharmakia is actually where our English words pharmaceuticals and pharmacy come from. Now, just think about that for a minute. So next time you're popping those ibuprofens to fight that migraine, thank the watchers for that one. <laughs> well, think about that. We're, we're talking alchemy here, right? Exactly. We're talking yep. about what we learn about in in Enoch, right? Like we're talking about the cutting of roots and, and these types of alchemical type of things, right? Um, and whenever we look at the word in scripture, it has these same exact meanings. So, for example, if you look at the usages of this word in Scripture, it means medication. It means poison. It means magical arts found in connection with idolatry. And here's some of the, the places where we see that used. Um, so, in, uh, let's see, I'm going to pull up my papers here. So, in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, so basically, here's kind of how that works. The uh, Bible was originally written in Hebrew. Eventually, whenever Greek became the language that was spoken across the world, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. This Greek Septuagint is the is that version. It was translated. Septuagint means that it was translated by seventy seventy kind of scholars who kind of put it together. Um, and in the Greek Septuagint, in Isaiah forty seven nine and in forty seven and twelve. We actually see the word pharmakia used there. And and listen to how Isaiah uses this word and what he relates it to. He says, These two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries. For great is the abundance of thine enchantments. So Isaiah here in Isaiah 47 and 9 talks about pharmakia, right? The, using these types of drugs and these types of uh, things as sorcery and enchantments. Yeah. And that links exactly back to what we talk about in what we've talked about before in Enoch, right? Yep. This is where it's grounded at. Um, this is the worldview that it's grounded in. Isaiah 47 and 12. He says, Stand now in thine enchantments and with the multitude of thy sorceries wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. So again, right? Stand in your enchantments and your sorcery, the multitude of your sorceries, right? Israel's apparently dabbling in this kind of stuff and Isaiah is calling them out for it and calling them back to covenantal faithfulness. Notice here that this is linked and inseparable from being religious, right? 
is it's not just taking medication. It's not just um, some experience that you're experiencing in your mind that's a hallucination. According to Isaiah, it is sorcery. It's an enchantment. It's it is religious. Okay. Now, whenever we get to the New Testament, we also see this word used there as well, and it's used in Galatians five twenty, Revelation nine twenty one, and Revelation eighteen and twenty three. And so, uh, the Apostle Paul he wrote you know the the book of Galatians, uh, the letter to the Galatians. It's written to the church there, and in Galatians five and twenty, flipping my Bible open here. Um, in Galatians 5 and 20, here's what he says about it. Let me just get turned there. All right. Galatians 5:20. I'm going to back up to 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the f- desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So he's going to talk about the works of the flesh, which are in contrast to the works of the Spirit, right? And here they are. Listen to what he says. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things like these, I warn you and I warned you before that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He talks there about sorcery. Guess what the Greek word is there? Pharmakia. It's the taking of drugs in a religious, religious, ritualistic way for the purposes of communing <clears throat> with the gods. Just think back to the book that Terrence McKenna wrote, Food of the Gods. Yep. It's the same exact thing. Right. The other one is Revelation 9 and 21. And this one right here is written by the Apostle John. And he's writing, you know, seven letters to seven churches about some of the things that's, uh, you know, going to come upon them. And in Revelation 9 21, here's what he says. I'm going to back it up here a little bit um, to 20. He says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor did they give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood who cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The Greek word used there is pharmakia. And notice what it's in relation to. It's in relation to things like sex. It's in relation to things like idolatry. We're talking about things like ritualistic sex magic here is what we're talking I was about. Say, it wouldn't be an episode of Sword and Staff if we didn't bring up sex magic. That's right. It wouldn't. You know, and, and John uses it again. Giants in, and sex magic. In Revelation 18. In Revelation 18 and 23, here's what John says. And I'm going to back up to 19 so you can get the full context. Actually, I'm going to back up to 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So Babylon, the great city, 
will be thrown down with violence, and they will be found no more. And the sound of the harpist and the musicians and the, fl- the flute players and the trumpeteers will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of the lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were once uh, were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, your pharmakia. Notice that pharmakia, the use of drugs, psychedelics, using it ritualistically, is tied to idolatry. So here's the deal. Are these people making contact with real spiritual entities? Yes. You better believe that they are. Absolutely. See, here's what we want to do. And this is good as, this will get us into the stuff we're going to talk about with Dark Holler. Whether we know it or not, as modern people, we view things in a very materialistic way. We like to think that the things that we can see, taste, touch, and smell, and hear, that they have no spiritual significance to them. But the Bible comes in, and it tells us that it does. Right? We like to think that there's nothing more to taking drugs than just these hallucinations that are happening in your brain. But when the Bible talks about pharmakia, it links it to sorcery and idolatry. Coming in contact with idols. Coming in contact with gods so-called gods who've claimed this name for themselves. The biblical authors attribute a supernatural worldview to these things. And so if we're Christians, we need to believe that too. Right? We need to not fall for the, the Sam Harris's of the world who are out there telling us that there's nothing more to this stuff than just the chemicals in your brain doing this or that. I don't doubt that those things are true. But here's the deal. There's more to reality than just matter. There is not just a seen realm here, but there's also an unseen realm at work here as well. And whenever people dabble in pharmacia, in pharmaceuticals, in uh, psychedelics, what they're dabbling in is sorcery. They're dabbling in idolatry, and they're putting themselves in danger of being harmed by real spiritual entities that are waiting on the other side of the veil waiting to, to steal, kill, and destroy. This is very real, and we have to take this seriously. So, this gets us onto the topic of Dark Holler, then, doesn't oh it? Oh boy, it does. <clears throat> so, well, just the uses of uh, psychedelics in paranormal experiences in general, really. Right. So, yeah, we'll talk about that here in a minute as well. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, one of the arguments that you... You hear, um, well, one of the arguments that we've encountered with our work in Dark Holler, especially in the YouTube comments, you gotta love the YouTube comments. Yep. I, I like to, I like the YouTube comments. Old Marine Mom. I, oh my gosh. I like the YouTube comments. I find them humorous. I actually like to go through and read them like every few days. I like, there was a guy who said that I look like Elvis. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that one. Um, I think that they're so funny. Even the ones that are poking fun. Like, I don't know. I just like that kind of thing. I, I like, I, I appreciate a good roast. You've got Ward on there appeal, appealing to these suburban, like spooky moms out there. Like it's, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, here's the arguments that you hear from people. 
about uh, the experience that Kristen had. Yep. A lot of people, um, and they're starting to realize more and more as the series goes along, that there's a lot more going on here than just a girl who was using drugs and doing witchcraft. They're all, they're starting to realize now, oh, wait, it wasn't just her who experienced these things. It was her family as well. And it dates back decades. And so they're starting to see that it was a generational thing, not just a Kristen thing. But one of the arguments that we see cropping up a whole lot is, is this. Um, she simply was just somebody who was on drugs and who was experiencing withdrawals. And these things are kind of what you make of them, right? Like uh, there's nothing wrong with the, the occult, right? Um, using tarot cards, <laughs> using tarot cards and, and dabbling in magical arts. Those things aren't going to actually get you hurt. It's all about your intention. Yeah. And that you probably coming from somebody who's like drowning in demonic oppression. Yeah. You know, basically that's the arguments that you see presented yep. here. Um, and here's the deal. This is a materialistic worldview, number one, about uh, the argument about um, Kristen was experiencing nothing more than uh, withdrawals. And this is just the kind of thing that people who are on. That is a very flat materialistic view. Yeah. Whenever we look at this topic biblically, what we see is that sorcery and magic and pharmaceuticals go hand in hand. They can't be separated. And not only is that biblically, that's just in the simple use of the word. Guess what? The biblical authors did not invent the word pharmakia. This was a word that was in use in the language of the ancient world. And guess what that means, Richie? That means that everybody who was using this word in the ancient world associated pharmakia and sorcery and idolatry. Yep. So it's not just the biblical writers. It's the ancient world as a whole. So these things can't be separated out. Psychedelics are inherently religious. And if you go back and if you look at the literature that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the people who were doing these things and writing about these things knew it. And that's why they were writing about it the way that they were. That's why Terrence McKenna said that doing pharmaceuticals was taking hold of the logos by force. That's why he called his name food of the gods. Right? He knew that they were inherently connected and could not be separated. Yeah, just even working cases and seeing these dynamics play out like in the field. Like there are people who I would say are born more spiritually sensitive. They're more likely, more prone to these sort of experiences. They're what I call experiencers. And uh, they are also the, the kind of people that end up in drug addiction Either they uh, embrace these experiences and they use hallucinogenics or anything to sort of amplify those experiences, mm-hmm. because that's exactly what these things act like. They're they're a catalyst for phenomena, for contact, and a door opener. Mm. And you'll even see that even in the throes of demonic possession, that that's part of the thing. It the it's a feedback loop. Mm. The the drug opens the door to the demonic, and the demonic encourages the addiction because it 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 keeps that door open and keeps them in this state of conscious that's e- easier to work them. Yeah. And I've seen that in the field and people either go that way with it or they'll either they'll take up like alcoholism to sort of numb those experiences, but absolutely. I've seen it play out in the field where people have used uh psychedelics and things like that as a, a means yeah. of opening doors ritually and uh 
just recreationally, like it's in the throes of that, that it's sort of influence. Here's the deal. You have to deal with the fact that everybody who came before you, even the people who were writing about psychedelics in the 19, you know, the 1900s, they were all relating it to religious experiences. People were using it ritually in the ancient world all over the world, right? You have to literally say that everybody who came before me was an idiot, and I'm the one who has it right. There's nothing going on here. I remember the, that is uh, the, that is the bane of pride. Yep. I remember a guy that uh, when we were loaned uh, a helmet that stimulates parts of your brain through electromagnetism that is thought to be the home of the religious experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were experimenting with that that helmet, like w- we were creating those sort of hallucinogenic trips with uh, machines and electromagnetism and things like that, the guy said it's the same region of your brain that is triggered through psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely... Yeah. So I think that you have to account for that. Right. Like even on a scientific level, they understand that there's a link between the religious experience and the psychedelic sort of aspect. Yeah. So, and I think that you have to account for that, right? Like the fact that the religious part of the brain is stimulated when somebody is doing psychedelics. Why is that happening? It's because even at a biological level, these things are inherently connected. And what do you expect? You expect some archetypal serpent being that if you're a union is is uh, residing in the collective unconscious to manifest itself physically in front of you so you can see it and verify it too do you expect the the gods who are immaterial to manifest themselves in front of you so you can also verify verify that person's trip that's not how this works that's a very materialistic view of how these things work and nobody who is coming from a religious especially christian perspective like we are think that that's how these things work. It's very ignorant. It's very flat. And it doesn't account for the things that are happening experientially and biologically. That's that's another thing that I've seen when people have objections to the experiences during these psychedelic trips. Like that they're very personal reflections of their psyche, of the of the, of the, exper- the tripper's own like psyche or yeah. their own ego. or it's mm-hmm. uh, The experience is very tailor-made. Mm-hmm. to them and their filters. But <clears throat> even objectively in the paranormal, when you work cases, you'll see that paranormal activity is very much like that. Like you'll have a team of investigators go into a haunting mm-hmm. and they'll experience a phenomena that's very tailored to their own cultural presets. And you'll have another team to go into the same environment and the phenomena shifts to sort of meet theirs as well. So it's, there's a, a objective activity going on there. You can document it like these things happen, but it's almost like they it shifts. Well, you're, basically what you're saying here is you experience it subjectively, but there is an objective pattern yes. there that yep. people are experiencing subjectively. Yep. So there is an objectiveness to this, and you have to account for that. Yep. Why is it that whenever people do large amounts of DMT that they come across in various different parts of the world? Yeah, so to machine me it's, elves. Yeah, it's like it's not odd to me when I hear people bring that up as an objection. Like, why is it so tailor-made to the experiencer? I mean, to me, the paranormal functions in the exact same way. Like, I don't know if it's just my background mm-hmm. with those kind of things, but I just I just never saw that as, as something that's problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that we think that 
I think we zoom into the subjective part of it and we forget that there are, we just don't pay attention to the fact that there is an objective pattern here that people in various places and from various different, you know, perspectives are all encountering and you have to give an account for that. So, yeah. I mean, it's not just also there, it's not just uh, individual sort of experiences. Like there are certain tropes and, symbols and imagery that you experience in these psychedelic trips that are shared experiences with people who have no contact with each other yeah culturally that's exactly what physically I'm yep. anything that's exactly what so, i'm saying yep not like this gnome creature like that people have seen in places that have no contact with each other that they shouldn't have this shared experience mm. but yet they do and just the dynamics of the experience it, it reminds me of the shared similarities in near-death experiences. Yep. Like everybody experiences the tunnel, the light, like That's regardless right. of culture. Yeah. It's like going or, through this veil, yeah. and on the other side, there's this, there's this light. And people describe these beings that way. Yeah. Beings clothed in light is how they describe them. I would absolutely you, say that that's the same experience. Out-of-body experience, near-death experiences. Yeah. And when your body actually releases DMT in the pineal gland whenever you're dying... And so that's, you know, whenever you see people and they're, you know, in the in the throes of death and, you know, they talk about seeing people there who's not actually there. That's that's one of the things that's going on. And again, remember, this is connected also to the religious part of the brain as well. They're naturally wired. And we believe it's because God wired it that way. Right. It's a natural lifting of the veil. Well, that's right. And there's a difference here. Let's say this. There's a difference here, and there's a distinction to be made with that happening naturally. Naturally versus forced. Yeah, That's right. Naturally being, the, the, whereas it's being forced. Um, and that's And just the experience deal. is different between the two. Like, you, you talk about being welcomed into the arms of the mm-hmm. angels and your family and these beings that are there waiting for you to get there versus... Intruding you, into that realm through psychedelics and being uh, like treated as like an enemy combatant, almost like why are you here? And here's the deal: whenever you go in to the other side, whenever you tear through the veil, the only thing that you're going to get attention from is the spirits that you don't want to get attention. Exactly, from. and spirit those those very bad spirits are the ones that sort of swarm yep. these these experiences and they they always present themselves as benevolent they do absolutely But here's the deal the true beings there the ones who are following yahweh who are serving him and who are you know uh, tending over the creation and and that kind of thing they don't want you to come in to to things that way you're not going to get get their attention that way the way that 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 works not the true ones not the ones that actually want uh, not the ones that are serving God. I'm not saying that there couldn't like couldn't be some kind of warning. I was going to say I have experienced mm. interventions by these higher forces when I've been into some sketchy things in the paranormal. Yeah, not saying that that's not possible, but they're not going to come to you and be like, "Hey, Richie, guess what? I have this secret knowledge that I need you to take back to the world for me." Like that's not like you can guarantee it that whenever you've yeah. done that, that's you that's found a, a spiritual bit. Yeah, that's the watcher. You that's found the, a watcher yeah. um, who is doing the same thing that it's always done since the beginning, giving you knowledge that God doesn't want you to have, so you can take it back to the world and help humanity thrive. Yep, that kind of thing. Um, the way that we should approach these things is the way that God intended, right? 
um, not tearing through the veil, but letting him guide us gently by the hand through it in the way that we should. And the way that uh, the way that you experience these things um, is the way that God has has um, commanded us to, um, like through things like prayer, right? Um, through ascending up the chain of being in our sanctification. Now, I would also say there are examples where God allows people to experience this lifting yes, of the veil. 100%. Without the dying process or anything else. Well, and God also does use these psychedelic experiences to draw people near, near to himself. Like, yep. I've listened to multiple accounts this week in preparation for this episode from people who... Uh, who did that, who tore through the veil. And whenever they did that, they were harassed by malevolent spirits there. Or they were approached by some benevolent being, but deep inside they knew that they weren't. Like, And they talk about the machine elves just swarming them and attacking them. Yeah. Or uh, Terrence, or uh, sorry, uh, Trussell Duncan was talking about uh, in his one of the trips that he was having that he was literally crying out to God as he was doing it, and they were mocking him, being like, he's he's crying out to God, you know, that kind of thing. I've had that same experience during uh, some bouts of sleep paralysis. Like, when you're there, it, it, it almost always there's something there with you. Like, something bad is drawn to that experience. Yeah. Like, they, the whole realm there is made aware of your presence, and whether it's what they used to call old hag syndrome, like this old woman that's in the room, or these creatures that was, you see in art, the the whole image of sleep paralysis is depicted as this little demon sitting on the chest of somebody that's asleep. Mm -hmm. But I've had that, like I've been in a position where I could, I couldn't move my body, but I was aware of the room I was in and this shadow was just all over me and it would swarm and attack me. And anytime I've ever experienced the same shadows there and it's, they, they just come at you and they attack you. And when you pray, like you can hear them mocking you and they're trying to instill those those fear and that doubt. But I mean, prayer has gotten me out of it every time. Like yeah. that's how I get through that experience. But, and that's, you know, and that's God coming to the aid of his people through the means that he has given us, right? It's yeah. not tearing through the veil. It's you're remaining on your side. You're using the means that he's given you. And, you know, the scriptures talk about him dispatching his angels on your behalf, right? You think of the archangel Michael fighting Satan, right? Fighting on behalf of the people of God. It's that kind of thing. So the way that you actually interact with those beings isn't by tearing through the the veil. Oh gosh, I it's, have so many stories we could get into. Well, let's save really it. Let's sketchy, save it. But. Let's save it. Let's do it. Let's let's do an uncut portion after this. We can talk about some of them there okay. on the other side of the veil. Yeah, they they need to be there. Yeah. So, um, so let's give our final thoughts on this topic. Um, let's kind of wrap it up because we're over an hour. And we'll uh, do an uncut section after this, and we'll talk about some of that. So, um, psychedelic experiences, they're true. Absolutely. You're really encountering beings on the other side I of the I think those substances are catalysts and uh, door openers and putting yourself to in a true lim- experiences. A liminal space. Yep. And traditionally, throughout history, that's where you met these types of things, right? People in the ancient world knew this. That's what the word pharmakia means. It means sorcery. It means witchcraft. It means magic. And it's tied, obviously, to, to 
pharmaceuticals. Yeah, uh, there are many thorny ways to get to this sort of liminality and substance abuse through psychedelics. Yeah. Is, well, here's is one the deal. Of them. Here's the deal. God commands us not to do these things, not because it's not possible, but because it is possible. Exactly. I, people don't really think about that when God has this list of do's and don'ts. Like He doesn't want you dabbling in the occult because it's it's made up or it's not it's not real. You're wasting your time. Just you're wasting your time. Pieces of wood and metal. It's made because, of hands. Yeah, it's because there's true danger. Like it's it's forbidden because it works. I mean. That's right. That's why people are caught in it. That yep. There's power there, but it's not a power that you need to be involved in. That's right. So people were truly tearing through the veil. Yep. You can do that through various means. I've Psych- been through it many times. Psychedelics is one of those means. People really are encountering things there. God has wired the, the human mind for it to operate in a certain way. And so not only is there a psychedelic part happening, but there's also a religious experience happening as well. You have to account for that. Um, and the beings that you're encountering there aren't the ones that you want to get the attention of. And exactly. perhaps even the ones <clears throat> that are there that are, um, you know, maybe good and the, the beings um, that are interested in you are yeah. kind of annoyed that you're there. The, the beings that are going to be interested in, in you being there yeah. are the ones that gravitate towards the, this kind of experience. So around the, the substance abusers and around the occult practitioners, like it's these dark forces that are drawn to those practices. They're there waiting for you. And that's why they to give, experience you, give you a cult watcher knowledge. Exactly. Is because you threw up the red flag, you turned on the red light, you said, come get it. And they come and they get it. Exactly. And they've got a they've got a message to bring to you. So all this is true. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> um, so don't do don't do psychedelics. Um, as popular as, as as it as it is, as much as people like Joe Rogan may encourage you to do it, don't do psychedelics. Um even Joe Rogan says we don't know what's going on. Exactly. So don't don't that put- is so reckless that into even just to admit that. Like that on a spiritual level, that yeah, that's playing with fire in a in a major way. The way that we naturally interact with the other side of the veil is through the means that God has given us and things like prayer. I was going to say through and ascending the hierarchy yeah. of being and the chain of being, whatever you want to call it, through sanctification, becoming more and more like a saint, growing in holiness, growing in the image of Christ, or maybe divine providence, where yep. the veil is opened up to you for some reason. Yep. According to God's plan. Which you see that in the story of the saints throughout church history. The visions Times, and things like that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But, those, vision. but those, yep. here's the thing to keep in mind. Those were not things that were engaged in on their end. It's not something that they were seeking. It was gifted on it the part of God. It was gifted on the part of God. That's right. So these things are totally possible. We are Christians. We have a supernatural worldview. Let's not be materialist. Let's not deny the reality of these Just things. think about that. Like you're 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 robbing something from God. Like it's, if, if those experiences are gifts from Him when they do happen by His providence, but you literally reaching up and taking them for yourself, mm-hmm. like yep, it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's yep. very much like the Tower of Babel. It is right. Like uh, God comes down and He talks to His people. He condescends and He talks to us um, out of His mercy, His goodness, His grace. And the Tower of Babel is flipping that on its head, and it's building a man building up to him. Yeah, yep. man-made mountain of God going up there to tear through the veil. Yep, it's the same pattern, and those people were deceived also by divine beings. Right? Deuteronomy thirty-two eight, right? 
sons of God ended up leading these people astray and they became the gods of the nations. This is idolatry, sorcery, those types of things. The same thing will happen to you if you, by force, tear through that veil. So, be a saint, right? Be, be a, a saint. saint. Yep, be a saint. Follow Christ. Be conformed to his image. Stay away from the shrooms. Yep. Ascend the ladder to heaven, but do it through the means that God has given you. So, Richie, you got anything else to add before we sign off on today? So much. But let's save it for the. (laughs) Let's save it. Let's save it for the. We'll get canceled if not. All right. We'll save it for the uncut portion. So if you guys want that, you need to head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash Sword and Staff Order. For just $5 a month, you can get the Sword and Staff Uncut, and you're going to be able to get the kind of conversations uh, that we're fixing to have on the other side of the veil. These are not available. For $50 a month, you can get me channeling a demonic force on shrooms and... That's a terrible That's, idea. We will not be doing that. And I, I mean, apologize it's a, again for sketchy it's, it's a suggestion. Yeah. And so um, whew, sometimes that occult, that occult past just bleeds it, over. It and we just got to keep that monster back in the box. It's that itch that's always dying to be scratched. Yeah. So, um, But in seriousness, if you guys um, if you guys want those conversations, head on over to our Patreon. We've got all kinds of different tiers there, um, ranging from $5 a month to $50 a month. We, we've got swag packages that we send out to people. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. Richie, tell the people about the projects that we're currently working on that they can currently support. Well, right now we have Dark Holler that's releasing to YouTube. See, episodes one through three are out so far. Yeah, There are five episodes total. Episode three just dropped. It did. A few days ago. So tune into that. And apart from that, we are actively filming for Shadow Appalachia, the first season. That's we've changed things up a bit and now the first season is going to focus on the phenomenon Logan and the mass that the phenomenon presents here. And that should be released fall of 2023. I think we've got a, a new teaser coming. It's a more extensive trailer than the first teaser. So yes. this is basically this has storyline in it and presents some of the the angles and things we're exploring in, in the first season and that we should have a rough finished cut of that tonight Ooh. according to Ward something for us to see so we've seen sort of clips of it but we should have a trailer to release pretty soon yeah so stay tuned for that right and um, do we got anything else oh also if you want to support this project this project absolutely head on over to our website www.swordandstaff.net click on film projects if you click on film projects there is a place there where you can make a donation, you can give to this project, and truly, this stuff is supported by you, our fan base, right? Um, we would not be able to do it without you guys. This helps us to get us to the places that we're going. It helps uh, helps to get gear that we need for this stuff. Um, it helps with all of that stuff, and anything that you guys give is greatly appreciated. I mean, and it goes it's just way. a reality. It's, it's monumental exper- expenses to, to do this work. Yeah, it is. And so you guys get to participate in that. And so I think that we're planning on doing something like a, um, oh, what's that called? Um, Kickstarter, I think. Some uh, sort of crowd crowdsourcing, crowdfunding yeah. thing. Yeah. And so the way that Kickstarter works is there are tiers there. And if you give to that, uh, you get certain perks for doing that. And so that's probably going to be coming up in the future as well. There will be another way that you can donate and give towards this project. So 
be on the lookout for that as well. You guys will get to participate in this project in very special ways. And I know that they've probably seen the video of the weirdness that's going on trying to get the Shadow Appalachia website up and running. Ward is working on that, so probably when that goes live, there'll be yeah. ways to, to give also. So. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. Very exciting. So we hope you guys are excited about that. If you want more content, head on over to Patreon. We're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the veil. I'm excited. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. We hope that it was helpful. We'll see you next week. See you then. See you.